Cup of tea tales, gone wild, playing. Childhood antics and freedom that today's children would envy. My family moved from Lawrence Avenue to Gibsonwood Crescent when my brothers and I had reached an age where playing was what we did. When not at school, you were expected to move out of the house and occupy yourselves in a number of ways. One, as I've spoken about in the past, was to visit my grandma in Chapel Allerton. Others were to play in the garden, the street, or in our case, either what we called the Little Woods, Fairy Woods, or Gipton Wood itself, which we thought of as the Big Woods. The Little Woods was an area between the houses that could be accessed through two narrow ginnels. It had few trees, a rough grass area and a mound that we thought of as a bomb site with a crater in the middle. It had clearly been there a long time as large trees had grown around and in it. Apparently the land was given to Leeds Council on the understanding it would remain a playground for children in the area. We could ride our bikes safely and there were tracks and jumps that crisscrossed the dip in the middle. It was great fun, and I'm sure the local parents appreciated it. We played soccer and cricket on a rough bare patch that challenged the very best batsmen to predict the bounce, but we didn't care. In summer the grass would grow tall above waist height, and it was a perfect place to play hide-and-seek. We would crawl for hours through the grass, defying anyone to spot us, and we built dens. When we returned home at night, we realised how itchy we were from all the grass cuts, but it was nothing that a hot bath couldn't fix. The Little Woods was an oasis of peace amongst the semi-detached suburbia that surrounded it. I can't recall ever seeing adults or anyone taking dogs for a walk there. As a result, we didn't have to worry about dog poo. In these times, taking a dog for a walk usually meant just opening the door and letting it out on its own. No one worried, and no one picked up after them. As children, we could stay out as long as we wanted and only returned for meals or in the evening when it was time for bed. We weren't unusual in this at the start of the 1960s, and we enjoyed a freedom that children nowadays would envy. Looking back, there must have been dangers, but there wasn't the publicity that we're constantly bombarded with. We even played in the Little Woods at night and we took torches to play wide games with searchlights as we sneaked up on the base. Luckily, there weren't dangerous creatures in Leeds and I'm not sure I would want to play the same games here in Australia where there's a plethora of things to sting or bite lurking in the undergrowth. On more adventurous days, we would go to Gipton Wood. Now, for those who don't know, this part of Leeds, Gipton Wood, It's a sizeable woodland of oaks, sycamores and beech trees. The mixed woodland is full of bluebells, and when they're out, the ground is a lavender carpet that is quite breathtaking. The tree canopy is very dense and parts of the woods are very dark and were not well frequented. As a child, I could play most of the day in the northeastern part and not see any other people all day. The wood was bequeathed to the city for recreational use and together with Ledow Valley and Roundy Park forms a wonderful green corridor in this part of the city. There were two main pathways and these ran from the house where we lived through to either Oakwood Village or cut down the hill to Roundy Road near the Gipton Pub. There was a set of steps that led down to the old tram lines. I vividly remember my elder brother attempting to ride his bike down the steps 
This went against all common sense and resulted in him going over the top of the handlebars. This was only one of several accidents he had as a child, and it really is a miracle that he grew to adulthood. Another incident involved him cycling next to me down Giptonwood Crescent towards the woods. He was so engrossed in the conversation that he didn't notice the lorry parked at the side of the road, and despite my warnings he just rode straight into the back of it. Another good one happened one winter when the wood was thick in snow. We'd been sledging down the steep slope in the wood. He was on the frame of a rocking donkey that we'd had since we were little, and I was on the wooden sledge that Dad had made. The metal frame was much faster than the sledge, which had wooden runners, and at 6.30 in the evening everyone else had gone home. The temperature fell sharply and was well below freezing, and the snow turned to ice. The run had a series of bumps, and we'd been having great fun. We decided one more go before setting off home. Andrew shot down the slope faster than ever, now that the snow was ice. He hit the first bump and the metal frame took off into the air. Andrew followed and the two separated and both crashed back to earth. The red metal runners carried on at an even faster pace to stop in the long grass and shrubs before the wall and the drop to the road level. Andrew came to a landing, his head flicked back and struck the ice with a crack and he carried on sliding arm and legs flailing. I was following on behind on the wooden sledge and I realised he was not okay. Stopped and ran over and helped him up. He was a bit groggy, so I got his sledge, picked up his hat that had come off and we headed home. It turned out that he made a full recovery, but we didn't use the base of the donkey anymore. Giptonwood is really in three sections. There was the flat northeastern section, the sloping central area that fell down to Roundy Road, and the very steep small valley at the southern boundary which had a small stream drained from a spring. Each section offered different adventures to us when we played. In winter the central slope provided a sledge run when there was snow and good hide-and-seek areas, but was crossed by a pathway and had a single electric light in a lantern. It always reminded me of the one in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. At night it was the only source of light in the wood, and it cast a cone of brightness amongst the pitch black of the woods. This caused me some scary moments as a teenager, when I would walk home through the deserted wood late at night. I was never sure if it was my mood, or the mood of the woods, but sometimes I walked through and had no concerns about safety, whereas at others it was very scary, and I would often end up running to get out. You would imagine that the pool of light would help, but actually it made it worse. When you entered the illuminated patch, everything outside was black. Anyone could be standing there watching you, and you would have no idea. As a result, I avoided the proper path and cut a direct shortcut. I guess it was all in my mind, as I never had any incidents. I made the journey so often that I knew where to lift my feet as roots crossed the pathway ready to trip the unwary. I had lots of fun in the quieter, more deserted northeastern section, and I've only recently learnt that this section holds the remains of a Bronze Age camp. The shallow trenches that provided good hiding spots for hide-and-seek were part of the ancient earthworks. We regularly climbed trees. Branches were easy to reach and evenly spaced and allowed us to climb to the very top and look across the green canopy at the roofs of the houses. 
there were some very large, very old houses that bordered the wood behind the high stone walls. Great fun, and I don't ever remember falling. We didn't like things to be tame, and even more fun than climbing were crossbows. In the days I was at a Hare Hills County Primary, you could buy a dark green metal crossbow that fired wooden arrows with rubber suckers on the end. There was a thick black rubber band strung across the arms of the bow, and this had to be pulled back and looped over the trigger. The bows could fire the arrows 30 to 40 feet with quite a speed and accuracy. We had good fun firing at each other and targets until we had a better idea. We decided we wanted the real thing, and so we tried firing darts from our dartboard, the metal points variety. The largish darts fitted snugly into the groove where the arrows or bolts should go, and when we shot the first one it was amazing. It flew straight, fast and far, and stuck into a tree like in Robin Hood or William Tell. This was magic. Instead of playing, we now had the real thing. The only drawback, apart from the potential of killing someone or putting out an eye, was that the darts were so easy to lose in the undergrowth. We had such a great time, and somehow we lived past childhood. The sound of the birds and the squirrels in the wood is wonderful, and it is so easy to forget that you're in the middle of the city. Even the traffic noise is distant. My father cleared the front and side of the house in Giptonwood Crescent of trees so that we could have a drive built. He did the groundwork and the drive was then tarmacked. This provided new possibility for young boys. We'd been given roller skates, the kind that were extendable with straps to fit over your shoes. These were okay, but they had four wheels that would stick on a loose stone and send your head over heels. We decided on a better use for them, and that was placing a hard-backed book on top of one, sitting on it and shooting down our driveway onto the road. It was good fun and we could get up quite a pace. There were some drawbacks, removing the skin off your knuckles as you held onto the book, removing the skin off your legs if you fell off sideways, and potentially being run over at the end of your ride. None of these seemed to deter us, and in fact spurred my older brother and me to take it to the next level. I suppose we were partially inventing the skateboard, and were just childhood pioneers, I guess. To do better meant travelling further afield to a much steeper hill. This was the one just on the corner of Opland Crescent and Giptonwood Avenue. The road suddenly fell steeply to the crossroads with Upland Grove. The road would have been about 50 to 60 feet before you hit the crossroads. And of course, my older brother was the first to give it a go. He set off, gained rapid pace, zigzagged and fell off sideways, about halfway down the run. He was unhurt and encouraged me to do it. I gave it a more tentative go and used my shoes as brakes to maintain a more modest speed. I think by the end of the morning we'd just about mastered getting a good run down the hill in one go. Luckily for us, there were few cars in our days, so the number of near misses at the crossroad were less than you would expect. But we took it in turns to be the lookout and give the all clear. Mum would have had a fit if she'd known. One thing was the danger we were in, and the second was that we were wearing out the soles of our shoes at a rapid pace. My older brother was always the most accident-prone when we were children. I think I took over from him as I got older as some of my near-death experiences will support. 
School holidays seemed to last forever, and we had many adventures, and even allowed my younger brother to join us as he got older.